This is a Federal News Network podcast. The more complex and in-demand online federal services become, the more difficult it is to offer both good customer experience and good security. A study commissioned by TransUnion points up the need for agencies to up their game here. We get more now from TransUnion's Senior Director of Public Sector Identity, Stuart Levy. Mr. Levy, good to have you on. Thanks, Tom, for having me. Tell us what you were looking at. You enlisted the Poneman Institute to do some survey work among federal entities. Tell us about the survey and what you discovered. Well, we've noticed quite a few things over the past year as unemployment insurance has had its own challenges. And we were interested to know what other agencies are seeing and if they kind of correlated to what we came across. We were concerned about user experience and anti-fraud strategies being valid or not valid. And what did you find out? Are they valid or not valid? Or how are agencies generally doing with respect to that whole complex of problems? Yeah, we found that agencies are in desperate need for resources to combat account takeover vectors, fraud vectors, and also use advanced strategies like artificial intelligence to pull in key insights from massive volumes of data that can be used to detect fraud in the future. In other words, the government is getting more and more into the business of constituents having accounts with different agencies, almost like the commercial sector, and therefore they need to have the same level of assurance of the ID of the person accessing that service, that that account really is that person. Is that a good way to put it? That's a great way to put it. Agencies have been moving towards the document authentication strategy, which works, and it's a great technology But it doesn't always work, and it presents challenges from a user experience perspective. So we found that it's useful to look at the risk basis for the identity that's in question, the person that's trying to connect and create an account for themselves, and to spend the money where there really are identity fraud challenges, and maybe save a little bit of money where there are fewer challenges. And what are the best contemporary techniques for doing that? Because clearly agencies all, I think, understand that the username and password is hopelessly too little to do good cybersecurity. And in fact, the White House has now underscored the push toward multi-factor authentication for just any normal logon. So what does best practice look like these days? For the account registration process, federal government and the standards that are in use today directly point towards the document authentication approach. But when that, to your point, when that does not work well, knowledge-based questions are something that can be considered. And there are new technologies that allow us to look at the ownership of a device and a telephone number and where we can correlate attributes. Then perhaps we can send a one-time passcode to that device and then verify identity in that way. And maybe that account gets reviewed and further inspected. Yes, you pointed out something I should have realized, and that is there are two parts to this whole question. One is the establishment of the account in the first place, and especially with accounts like IRS or Social Security, people want to do it before someone else does it in their name. And then once the account is verified and established, then assuring that when people visit that account, they are who they say they are. Yeah, there's definitely that. And then to prevent account takeover, protecting that account with multi-factor authentication and emerging standards that are coming out of that, like the FIDO2 standard, are things that I think government should be paying attention to. And the FIDO2 standard is? A passwordless approach that's been approved by the World Wide Web Consortium. TransUnion and our competitors have technologies and capabilities that approach that, but it hasn't been broadly deployed yet. We are speaking with Stuart Levy, the Senior Director of Public Sector Identity at TransUnion. 
And those types of factors other than password, again, what's the latest state-of-the-art for that? Because it used to be that you would put in questions you wanted to be asked later, and that was, in effect, like having a second password because you had to have the precise question and the precise way you originally entered the password to be able to get past that challenge question. But we're past that whole paradigm now, aren't we? Well, you're referring to pre-registered knowledge. Pre-registered knowledge is a strategy that um, agencies often use to reset passwords or make critical changes to an account, like a bank account number, and redirecting funds to a new bank account number. There's obviously risks associated with doing that. The pre-registered knowledge were those questions that were usually free-form text in response, and users tend not to remember those answers. So we come into play with knowledge that they should have just because of who they are and knowledge that a credit reporting agency has on the consumer. That's for critical changes. Then for the ongoing login authentication, there are multiple strategies available today that are covered by NIST standards to do multi-factor authentication. So how does it look to the incoming customer then? If you're not using the standard username password, but something under FIDO, what do they encounter? Well, they have to have a device, and that device has to be uh, in a proximity to the computer that they're using. And there's a encrypted digital key that is installed on that device um, when they first activate it for the FIDO2 standard. In other words, you need a smartphone to be able to get the code to get yourself in. You do, but there are browser plugins if you don't have a cell phone as well. As long as you have possession of a device and you've proven your identity on that device, not only can we detect fraud on that device to begin with, but the FIDO2 standard will allow for ongoing login access without a password. Got it. So people may not have a smartphone. There are parts of the population where a smartphone and the account associated with it might be financially out of reach, but maybe they can have a flip phone. They still sell those. Those people would still have the same rights and privileges. Exactly. And what about the economics to the agency of these various systems? Well, um, the most expensive part is deploying an identity stack to begin with, and then employing a managed service from a credit reporting agency such as ourselves, followed by the ongoing maintenance and ongoing authentication, generally very, very inexpensive. The more expensive aspect, um, but very valid aspect, is ongoing review for how the system is performing and making sure that fraud is being attended to and the proper strategies are in place and providing the right kind of experience for the users. Any agencies in particular that people should check out that are good at this? There are very, very experienced, large government-facing agencies that have gotten quite good at this today. The IRS, CMS, Department of Education for the FAFSA process are all very good at providing and paying attention to user experience and doing their best to detect and prevent fraud. Stuart Levy is Senior Director of Public Sector Identity at TransUnion. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, 
Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own. But he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean 
And you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, 
and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.